Hey, I'm Luke McElroy, author of the Creative Potential book, and you're listening to the Practical Worship Podcast. Well, hello, and welcome to the Practical Worship Podcast. I'm Dave Dolphin, and this show was created to help you lead a worship band and be a leader of people. And we release a new episode on the first Friday of every month, so make sure you're subscribed to the podcast on whatever app that you're using to listen to your podcast. I'm so glad that you're here listening to this. We're now on episode number six, and today's guest is Luke McElroy. Now, you may or may not recognize that name, but I guarantee you've been influenced by one of the many organizations that he leads. Orange Thread Live Events is a production company that helps other companies like Belmont University and Bristol Motor Speedway put on amazing events. Triple Wide Media produces moving and still backgrounds for single wide, double wide, and triple wide screens. And no doubt, you've probably used some of their content in your worship services. And then Salt Conference is a creative and church leaders conference that refreshes those that make Sunday happen every single week. It equips you in your creative and technical ability and reignites the passion for your calling. But the road to discovering the creative calling God had placed on Luke's life wasn't a simple one or an easy one. I think that sometimes it's easy to look at a snapshot of like someone like Luke's life or Pat Barrett's or Chris Tomlin to look at a snapshot of their life right now and think, well, that's not for us. God would never call us to that. But after you hear Luke's story, you start to realize that we're more alike than we realize, that God has called us to use our creativity to share the gospel in our sphere of influence, no matter how big or small a sphere of influence might seem, and that working out that creative muscle is worth it. So that's the center of this conversation. But first, the product of the month is the KZZST in-ear headphones. Now, a lot of us in churches, it's pretty common nowadays to be using in-ear monitors versus wedges on the stage where you wear headphones instead of having speakers on the stage to hear yourself in the band. So now the trick becomes finding in-ear monitors or headphones that you can wear that are going to sound good and allow you to to play or to sing to the best of your, your ability. But cost becomes an issue for a lot of us at smaller and medium-sized churches. And whether we're paying for these ourselves or if we are leading a church and we are providing the headphones for our team, if we've got 10 or 20 people on a team and headphones cost $100, $200, $300, well, that adds up to thousands of dollars really fast. And so uh, sometime last year in 2017, I started hearing about these KZZST headphones. And everyone on social media and on Facebook groups, they were just remarking about how wonderful these little headphones sounded, that they were super crisp, they had good high end, they had lots of bass, uh, and that they were pretty remarkable. And the thing was, these headphones cost $20. Now, I'm going to recommend that you upgrade the the foam tips, um, and so there's a little bit of cost in that. And there, uh, some people have also recommended that you replace and get a more higher end cable just for sound quality and things like that. But even then, if you get the cable and the tips and the headphones, you're in it for fifty dollars. And so I had to get a pair for myself, and I listened to these things, and they were amazing and remarkable. In fact, my wife sang with me. 
um, in our in our service last Sunday, and she needed a pair of in ear monitor headphones, and so um, she borrowed a set from her brother. And they were KZZSTs, and she's used all the the main brands that are out there, and the the common ones that you find from Shure and UE and things like that. And she said these are the be- the most comfortable headphones that she has that she's used. And again, they're fifty dollars. I actually did a video on my YouTube channel where I go pretty in depth into uh, my review of these headphones and even kind of compare them to some of the other popular brands or the popular models that you might see uh, in a church. And I'll that up in the show notes for you to check that out. But if you are looking to get a pair of in-ear monitor headphones that are yours or you want to supply your team and you need to be able to get multiples of these, uh, these are definitely some headphones that I would look into because the the sound of these headphones are remarkable and the prices is just unheard of. So I'm going to link all that stuff up in the show notes where you can go to my Amazon store and see th- this product along with the other products that I recommend and also put a link to that video that I was talking about so you can get more information. In fact, any information on any of the things that you hear us mention throughout this entire episode, including Luke's book, Creative Potential, we'll talk about that in a second, you can go to practicalworshiplog.com slash podcast six. And now here's my conversation with Luke McElroy. Luke McElroy, welcome to the show. What's going on, Dave? Are you coming live from Nash Vegas? Nashville, Tennessee. You know what's funny is I never understood why we were called Nash Vegas until about a year ago I learned that Nashville is second in the event industry as far as like hotel revenue, events revenue, like number of people and money that comes in for events, second only to Vegas. I totally believe that, and I, uh, you, you know, you, you just—it's just got a, a little bit of a different feel. It makes me think of that Sean Mullen song, you know, where they're talking about Los Angeles, and it's just kind of like Nashville with a tan. Yeah, exactly. Uh, you know, it's 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 just got a little bit, you know, of a different uh, vibe and flavor. But uh, it seems like a fun town. Have you have you lived there all of your life? No, I haven't. I've lived here for about fifteen years now, and okay. I love it. And and honestly, Dave, in fifteen years, this city has turned around. I mean. I can tell you when I first got here, like half of downtown, if we were standing in downtown Nashville, I could show you like, hey, this half didn't even exist when I first got here. So it's been kind of fun to see that blow up. And the best personal thing I've gotten out of this city is that as it's blown up, we've gotten far better restaurants and places to go sort of explore downtown. So Yeah, I remember. So I've been to Nashville one time, um, I was a hired gun for uh, an artist that was doing something for GMA Week, and so we come in. We we're playing BB Kings, yeah, and uh, and so um, yeah, I remember being like to the strip, and it's just like it's kind of like you know you got the strip, and that's like you know lots of you know lights and action and activity, and then you you literally can walk for about five minutes, and there's nothing. <laughs> well, I'll give you a little bit of a warning that. Um, if you're truly from Nashville, you don't go downtown. Well, I would imagine Vegas is kind of the same way. I mean, Vegas is a completely different town if you get off the strip. Yeah. Like, we go downtown, but we don't go to Broadway. So, like, typically when uh, people tell me, oh, yeah, we were down on Broadway last night, the first question out of my mouth is, oh, who's in town? Like, who are you with? You know? Because <laughs> no local would ever be caught doing that. 
So see, that's really good advice. It's like when you go to Hawaii, you don't wear the matching Hawaiian shirts <laughs> if you want to appear like the locals. If you want to blend in in Nashville, go somewhere else than Broadway. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, I, Luke, I've been wanting to get you on the podcast for a while because I think that your journey just as a creative and some of the things that, that you've done over the last, you know, you know, 15 plus years, just as you've been in Nashville and doing all the things that, that you have been doing. Um, I think a lot of us, whether we realize it or not, can relate to the story of just, um, trying to discover this potential that's within us to be creative. And a lot of times it's even hard just to get over the the hump of even thinking that like that's something that God called us to do that that's an important thing to do in the church you know many of us are worship pastors and we know that we got to get four songs on the stage but sometimes it can be really hard to think past that yeah. so I wanted to have kind of a conversation just about your your journey I know that you you talk about this in a book that you did that created potential book yeah um, but you know. Tell us kind of how that, that, that story of, of, of how God was leading you through and the things that you were discovering uh, to be the person that God has created you to be. Yeah, I do tell about that story in the book. In fact, it's really the first half of the book is kind of the narrative of how I stumbled into what I call my calling. And I think everybody on this planet was given a calling. And I think to go even further, I think everybody on this planet is creative. And I take that because of the fact that we're made in the image of God, and the first characteristic we see of our God is that He is a creative God. And so, but I think with a lot of creatives, we think, oh, that's good. Like, even someone maybe listening right now is like, oh, that's really good. Man, I should remember that and take that to my team because someone else needs that, right? But we don't own that ourselves. We don't really step into what does it mean to truly be creative like our Creator was creative? And how does it really mean to be made in that image? And I think that we can kind of get stuck in the rut of like, well, I got to make ends meet, or I've got to do this, or I was given this opportunity, so I'm just going to sort of stick with it. But we never go back to the original calling. We never go back to the original dream and go, well, what was it? And that really is the story of sort of my life. Like growing up, Dave, I grew up in the church. I'd always been in just an amazing family that supported the idea that you would have a God calling on your life. And some people may find this crazy, but I actually felt like I was called to build a youth camp early on. And it came out of this picture that I feel like God gave me. And as I started sort of wrestling with what was this picture, I don't know if you're like this, Dave, but have you ever been given an idea from God and then you are trying to wait for God to clarify it? Kind of like a Polaroid, right? Like if a Polaroid's taken, it takes a little bit of time for it to like develop in front of your face. But I don't want to ever wait, right? Right. Like I don't ever want to have to wait for a Polaroid. So... And, and the phrase I use in the book is that I basically was so you know, impatient with God on what my life calling was that I started Photoshopping the photo. I started adding in all these little things in this picture that I felt like he gave me. And, and one day I woke up and said, it's a youth camp. That has to be it. And so I started planning a youth camp. I spent years thinking, dreaming, procuring, uh, detailing all the plans of a youth camp. I mean, when we talk about youth camp, I'm talking about like blobs and zip lines but mashed with, you know, high energy worship environments for students. And the whole vision was that it was going to be this like leadership based camp that really helped the next, you know, future presidents and kid geniuses and CEOs of the world sort of realize their influence. And, and the truth of the matter is it's a good idea. And I've told people this so many times and telling this story that 
sometimes the enemy will use a good idea to rob you of the true God idea. Mm. And you'll be journeying down a process or down a path where you're like, hey, this seems good. Like, yeah, this camp is going to help reach people and it's going to help them realize their influence. But the truth of the matter is that's not what the picture God gave me was. And it's because I had gotten so comfortable with the photoshopped image that I had made for myself that I missed the God idea of what that actually was. And, and as I share in the book, and as you know, because we've had this conversation, that calling is uh, really birthing a community that champions and celebrates uh, the creative church, the, the creatives in this community, and we call that community SALT. So how did you know that you had gone the wrong direction? Well, the analogy I use in the book is that I feel like God had given me this picture, and I felt like the gun of a horse race had gone off, but the starting gate got stuck. And then I'm sitting here watching all these other horses run, and I'm stuck behind this gate, and I don't understand it. So I start trying to pry it open. And and basically where the story goes is that I hit a crossroads in Atlanta. That's where I grew up. And my family is there. And we had come to a place in the business where God had really opened up a lot of doors that I didn't realize. They It seemed like despair. It seemed like uh, destruction, if you will. I mean, I had started this company called Orange Thread Media, which we were doing some live event stuff and some custom media content for a bunch of Nashville people like Lifeway and Belmont University and a couple of Christian music groups. And... Basically, come December, several things all happened at once. We lost the lease to our office. Our landlord had sold the building, and the new landlord basically called me up and said, hey, I want to buy you out of your lease, um, and I want to move my family in. It was kind of a house because a lot of Nashville places are houses. And uh, so that happened on top of Willow Creek had just stolen away my lead creative guy to go lead their student ministry team. Uh, with all creativity stuff. And so he was going to move into a way better creative leadership role and stewarding you know, the gifts and talents of people on their team. And I was excited about all this, and all this stuff was good, but I started looking at my plate, Dave, and was like, hold on, hold on, hold on. Like, the lease is now free. My lead creative guy had just ended. My intern was coming to an end for the fall semester. And I found myself in January basically going, wait a minute, maybe God's finally clearing my plate for me to start this camp. So I went home in, December, or in January, right after sort of, or during the Christmas break, went home, stayed home all month of January. And I just started praying and reading and sort of pouring into, you know, what it was that um, I felt like God was doing in my life. And over the course of those days in Atlanta, I felt like there was this moment where God asked me three questions. And they weren't audible, but it's just when you spend enough time with God, you can start hearing the whispers of God, in my opinion. And what he basically asked me was, hey, Luke, do you have any influence in the youth ministry world? Dave, I hadn't been working for a youth ministry. I hadn't even been volunteering for the youth ministry at my church this time. Yeah. And I was thinking, oh, gosh, I got to start signing up to volunteer. And my answer is, no, I don't have any youth ministry influence. And I felt like God just hinted at, are you planning on getting a lot of influence in the youth ministry world? Because in order to build a youth camp, you're going to need a lot of influence. You're going to need to an opportunity to sort of invite people in and relationships to invite them to the camp. I mean, you can't really have a camp without that sort of platform, if you will. And I I was like, no. And I felt like the third question he asked me was just simply, then why would I have called you to build a youth camp? And at the same time, I was studying the life of Moses. And you may remember this portion in Genesis when 
you know, God asks him, what's in your hand? Right? I mean, God knew what was in his hand. As Rick Warren has said so many times, God never asks a question for his benefit. It's always for your benefit. Right. <laughs> so whenever God asks you a question, just be aware that, hey, you're the one that needs to learn the answer to this, even if you know the answer. So I'm like, well, you know, and so Moses responds, well, the staff. And God asks again, what is in your hand? And he says, a staff. And the third time he asks, what is in your hand? And what, what I sort of pulled out of that was that, Moses thought what was in his hand was this dead stick. But then God tells him, well, throw that staff on the ground. And when he throws it down on the ground, it becomes this living snake, right? And it's kind of weird because you could take the snake as an evil thing or whatnot, but it became alive. And then he says, pick it back up. And when he picks it back up, it becomes a dead stick again. And I just sort of took that in the same time when I felt like God was saying, hey, would I have given you this vision for youth camp, would you just let go of the picture of a youth camp and would you go back to the original drawing board that I first gave you and I felt like it was just like God saying to Moses, what's in your hand? And I realized every time I'm holding on tight to what it is I thought God gave me, it was a dead stick. It did nothing more than that. But when I released that and realized that that picture or that stick in Moses' day um, was what God had given us to steward our influence or our income or our identity or whatever that was, because a staff in that day and age did all those things. Really, it helped me understand that God gives us callings to be really loosely held. And that's when he has the most opportunity because we're in a place of uncomfort that always needs him. And when we're in a place where we always need him, we're in a place of constant pursuit of his will over our will. Well, there's also, too, just this idea of bloom where you're planted. Sometimes, you know, whether we try going down the wrong path just because, like you said, you look at the at the Polaroid and you think, okay, I think I see a, a building. I must need to go to New York. Right. And then you, you go there. Um, you want – you for whatever reason, your your desires, you want to for this thing to happen a certain way. You have it in your mind, and that may or may not be what God has for you. So you're trying to like, well, surely God is calling me to do this, so therefore these other things must mean this. Like right. you feel like you have the end result of what you want, and so you start interpreting these other things to uh, be, well, this is, you know, see, look, look, God's telling me to go go here. But it's it's just – it sounds like it's just – Sitting there and going and just pausing and saying, "Okay, God, where are you? Where are you leading me to go?" And kind of looking around, saying, "Okay, well, what tools do I have? What relationships do I have?" And being able to go from there. I think a lot of times, you know, us worship pastors, even like at smaller churches, it's so easy to look at what the big churches are doing because they're the ones that get the most press. They're the ones that right. have the Instagram accounts that have ten thousand people on it. But that's also because they have ten thousand attendees. <laughs> well, exactly. That's what I'm saying. Like, there's probably some cool things happening at First Baptist Columbus, but you know, but we don't we don't know because it doesn't you know get a lot of a lot of press. But if you were to go there and be a member, and I just pulled that out of a hat, yeah. But you know. There's those kinds of things. I think that it's so easy to look at what these other people are doing. Like, man, if I could only be at this church, if we could only be at this at this size or whatever. And it's like, no, God's put you there for a reason. And there's all kinds of things that you can do from from that place that so you bloom where you're planted. Yeah, and honestly, dude, in that entire process of sort of believing I was building a youth camp, um, God taught me so much. And for me to have taken that whole season as, oh, man, I was on the wrong path. I right. was down the wrong road with God and throw it out the window would be throwing the baby out with the bathwater. But it was so vital for me when I felt like there was so much clarity for me to go back and realize all the lessons, all the things God had taught me in that season. 
because even though it wasn't a a process of genuinely building brick by brick of something tangible, there was so much heart building in that. And and in that process, and I talk about this in the book, but I had to sort of remind myself that do I love the calling that God gave me more than the one who calls me? Mm. Or do I love the one who called me more than the calling itself? And that right there is enough to go, you know, if I had to do it all over, I'd go all through the process of screwing up the youth camp thing again. <laughs> because that is so much more valuable to me in the end of the day than the task. I mean, I just really believe that God doesn't care necessarily about what comes out of the calling he gave you. But he cares so much more about the relationship he gains with you in the process of you pursuing your calling. Now, what about people that are maybe on the opposite side of being in a hurry? Like you, you kind of use the analogy of you're waiting for the Polaroid to uh, de- to develop, and uh, and so you're looking at it, as soon as you saw something, like you were you were rip roaring ready to go. And I think part of that's probably wired into your into your DNA and just your personality. Oh, yeah. I think there's there's also another group of people that have a you know a real hard time just getting off the starting block even even showing up for the race because they want to be sure that they're sure that they're sure of that you know surely God didn't call me to do that and so there's there's people I think that are on the opposite side of it as far as just being maybe content just to put those four songs on a stage and you know what you know who am I you know to to lead a creative arts ministry who am I to to you know to to write a book or do photography or whatever what about those people that um maybe need a poke so to speak yeah. um to unlock that creativeness that God has put in them well, I'll say it this way. I, in my own study, in my own research, I believe that you, you cannot find any proof in Scripture that God measures the success of someone stepping into their calling by the amount of people or by the number of people whose lives are impacted by it. Influence is not the same as fame. Fame is connected to awareness, to knowledge, to uh, a, a great amount of people that know who you are. But true influence can happen one-to-one. And, and I think it's really tough to live in the United States culture where everything is so grow, 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 grow. Like if my church isn't growing, then we're dying. And I think that sometimes it's easy as someone who serves a small team to go, gosh, if I'm only at this church of a couple hundred people, I think it's so easy to buy the lie that culture wants to sell us. And I actually think it's the enemy that's wanting to sell us because he wants to knock us off of the path that God has for us. When he tries to tell us or whisper, man, you're not like Elevation Church. Man, you're not like Bethel Church. Man, you don't write like Chris Tomlin writes. You, know, you, don't, you haven't put out Good, Good Father like Pat Barrett put out Good, Good Father. And so often we buy this lie that, man, if I'm not doing that, then am I really following my calling? And that may not be exactly where you were going with that. But when you were sitting there talking about like, well, what about that guy who's serving at that small church? I'm like, own every ounce of the influence and opportunity God's given you there. Because what we don't know is if that's a training ground, and we also don't know if that actually is who God is calling to reach the people in that community. Because I guarantee you, you know, Andy Stanley or Chris Tomlin or let's do the worship leader, you know, the Brian and Jen Johnsons of the world are not reaching the people that you're able to reach right now. And you're able to have a one-to-one relationship. You're able to get coffee. You're able to go meet with them and pray with them and sit down and listen to them and disciple them and help encourage them in their walk. Whereas a Chris Tomlin album can't do that, you know? And so fame and influence are two very different things. And I don't ever want to get caught where I look at my life and go, gosh, I didn't do enough for the kingdom with the influence that God gave me, regardless of what that influence looks like. 
whether it's one-to-one with an intern like I had earlier today, or if it's like this, listening to a podcast, getting a chance to, you know, pour in and invest into people across the country. Yeah, I think just having that that platform, you know, or just even recognizing that, you know, the quote unquote, the platform you have might have a thousand people to it or it might have two people to it. But the importance of that influence doesn't change. And, you know, and the number of people that really kind of comes up to God. So once we kind of accept that. So, you know, as as creative people, how do we how do we take that next step to go deeper and say, you know, because. I think a lot of times we're like, who am I? You know, and the song that I write or the photography I do or the painting I do or the video that I create, you know, am I, am I really, you know, do I really have what it takes to, to go to the next level? Is it even worth going into because this person over here seems so much better than that? Like how, how do you encourage someone that's like, I don't think that's, that my creativity is enough? Well, I think because we were, as I said earlier, I think because we were made in the image of God, and we naturally have intrinsic characteristics of creativity within our fabric, within our DNA, within the fibers of who God made us to be. I think everybody can work on their creativity. Everybody can get better at creativity because it's within us. And, you know, a lot of people wonder like, oh, man, if I give that creative idea up, I'll never get another. Right. And we hold on to these creative ideas so tight, just like I was holding on to that Polaroid picture, just like. Uh, Moses held on to his staff, and we've got to let go of those because I believe creativity is far more muscle than it is magic. It's not like if we reveal the magician's code, it's disappeared. And by the way, I need to really give credit to Stephen Brewster because he's the one that gave me that phrasing, far more muscle than magic. But the truth of the matter is, if you think about creativity from the standpoint of muscle, um, everyone has muscle. The, the difference is that certain people have worked out and refined and and tuned that muscle um, or toned that muscle, to use the gym phrase, better than others. And I think the same thing is true with creativity. And so I think we can go to, quote, unquote, the creative gym and work out our creativity. Now, that means that today it may not be as refined of a muscle. It may hurt a little bit. We're going to have to stretch. We're going to have to sort of whatever. But I think there's a lot of things that can come in to the idea of learning how to be more creative, I think just some practical things I'll just sort of throw out. Number one, um, you know, figure out how you can get around more creative people. I think one way to work out your creativity well is to get around other creative people. Okay, so let's talk about that person who works in a smaller, mid-sized church. Let's say you have two to 300 people in your church. I guarantee you could find five to 10 people. You could do a monthly creative dinner creative luncheon, whatever that looks like, where you just pull them in and you guys just dream, you brainstorm. Whether or not any of these ideas come to play, we've got to work that creative muscle of thinking outside the box. So go find a couple of people who are interested in things. Go find the marketing director of some corporation that goes to your church. Um, This is a fun fact, Dave. Uh, Adobe did a study a couple years ago, and they learned, and I learned this right before I put out the book because the phrasing is pretty fascinating, but they basically learned that 75% of Americans don't believe they're living up to their creative potential. Okay. Well, that's kind of exciting because I just put a book out called the creative potential, you know, <laughs> you unleash your creative potential. So I felt like I had a big audience there, but in this case, let's flip it. If 75% of Americans don't believe they're living up to their creative potential, then that means 25% of Americans believe they are living up to their creative potential. So if you took a church of 200 people 
then there should be 50 people that you can go to who feel like they're living up to their creative potential that you could easily tap to start doing like a creative brain trust, if you will. Well, and I think to the 75%, sometimes the people, the reason why they're not, they feel like they're not living up to that potential is that they don't feel like they have have the on-ramp. One of the things that I've always tried to do with a worship ministry and seeing it as more than just music and more than just Sunday morning is creating those on-ramps for creative people. If someone is into photography, if someone is into painting, if someone is into video creation, whatever the medium happens to be is you, you put that call out and say, hey, we're looking for people to help us with photography. We're looking for people to help us with songwriting. A lot of times right. when we see like worship ministry, it's like, okay, well, you know, in order to be a part of this clique, this group, this whatever it is, I got to play guitar, I have to play drums, I have to sing. But there's so many other ways that we can be creative, but we don't necessarily see that. So the guy that's sitting there in the congregation that really kind of has this itch to to do photography, but they're like, I'm not sure what I'm going to do with this. You know, who's even going to care about it? When you put the ask out as as the leader of the worship ministry, hey, we're looking for someone to do photography. They like and they go, you know, I might I might do that. Yeah. And now they have a goal, and and you say, okay, I need you to to shoot photos for you know we're going to put verses on top of this, or we're going to put messages. You know, we need you in the service or whatever. And now they have like a goal, whatever. And I've I've worked with people where you kind of give them a tangible, you give them an on ramp, and all of a sudden they are beginning to 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 lean into that creativeness and 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 see that potential that they themselves didn't even realize that they had. Totally. And I think to go even further, you know, you and I are probably like this and and there's a lot of other people, but we get so caught up in the sort of to-dos of Sunday morning because Sunday's always coming that we we don't ever take enough time to go to the gym creatively. And what I mean by going to the gym creatively really comes back to this idea of are you ever spending time creating for no reason at all? Do you ever work on your craft outside of a task or a to-do or something that you've got to have done for Sunday. Because when you put yourself in in an environment where you can create with no boundaries or you can create with no limits or no reasons or no orders, now you get a chance to explore. Now you get a chance to sort of break outside that box. And I think what you're talking about of inviting people into it, invite people into this community, like photographers or whomever, songwriters, and, and just get together and say, hey, let's just go shoot. Let's go take a half day and go shoot this waterfall. Let's go hike, whatever. And now you're taking pictures for nothing other than we just want to take cool pictures. And when you guys get in that space, it will open up your creative muscles. That's, I think it's really, really, really encouraging. Are you ready now for the bonus round? <laughs> yes. <laughs> okay, here we go. Bonus round coming at you in three, two, one. Coffee or tea? Coffee. Early riser or night owl? Well, as much as I want to be an early riser, because I feel like you can get a whole lot more done in the morning, I probably am a late night owl. I think that's probably your creativeness that's fighting with your entrepreneurship. <laughs> exactly. You know, you've got you've got this part of you that wants to like get all these things done and accomplished, but you also want to be creative. And so I think those two forces are kind of fighting against each other. Which also means when I'm really stressed, like right before SALT conference... Uh, I get no sleep because I stay up late getting things done and then I wake up at four in the morning going, okay, I got to get a head start. To this You're day. both sides. You're both sides of it. Yeah, exactly. All right. Favorite TV or Netflix show? Man, it's got to be West Wing. That's sort of my go-to show over the years. Um, although nowadays with Netflix, I mean, you can watch a new show and just, you know, 
get sucked in. I mean, The Staircase is something I watched 10, 12 years ago, and it's just now back on Netflix. But anyway, West Wing is probably my regular. What's a book that every creative should read? Um, without question, The War of Art. That one keeps on coming up. In fact, I think when we had Brewster on the show, he said the same exact thing. Okay, so if I can't say War of Art, then my second choice. Well, no, be you can say it. <laughs> <laughs> it's 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 okay for more than one person to like the book. That's okay. This isn't a comp. Do I need to separate you two? Yeah, yeah. Well, the second book I would choose then is Artisan Soul, just to give everybody listening a second good book. Okay, and that's by Erwin uh, Manis. And we'll put all that in the show notes if you want to check out those books. What is something that you do every single day, no matter what? Check my email. It's a it's a bad addiction, people. Don't do it. Do you, and that, now, are you one of those people where like you're constantly checking it, or do you have certain times of the day when you check it? No, I am that bad person who checks email like the moment I wake up, and then I'll go like two hours and not do it. But I I have gotten a lot better. And I believe this is a practical little thing to be more efficient in life is to shut your email off, turn your notifications off. I just went through my iPhone a couple days ago and just went through every app I could care less about and deactivated it. Uh, Not deactivated, but stopped all notifications. So the only things I really get on my phone are like, you know, very select social media notifications. And even those I took a lot off and basically texts because I'm like, I don't really want to be pinged every time I get an email. (laughs) <laughs> right. Exactly. I'll go check email enough that I'll go do it on my own time. I think that's a good note to end on. That's the bonus round, ladies and gentlemen. Good job. That was excellent <laughs> stuff. <laughs> I think I still think it's funny that that, that uh, you know for whatever reason you know like why can't you and Brewster like the same book? Why is it that in, like in creative circles we always feel like we have to create the new thing that if someone else made this thing that we have to run off and go do something completely different? What about what about just being able to build upon something else's you know creativity, taking that idea? And then your spin on it is just as creative as the original. Why do we do that? Well, it's the reason that we don't like things that have already been done is because nobody likes a retweet or a repost of an Instagram nearly as much as the original, right? Right. But now I think, I mean, just to sort of relieve the pressure that people may feel, I grew up in 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 a high school that I got, I got a chance to take a ton of graphic design and illustrator and web design classes. And my professor, if you call high school teachers professors, um, sort of reiterated over and over and over in my life is this idea that everything has already been created. And she would go on to say, great art is more created as an inspiration of other creations. I mean, think about it. Every color has already been invented, right? I would argue that Every texture has already probably been invented. And so if artists exist, clay already exists, right? Right. So do we call those who work with clay not artists? No, which means we can't say that the medium or the actual um, end product is is truly representative of whether or not we're being creative. And what I would say is that that's where we need to start looking into the power of something called curation rather than creative or creative ability, and that would cause us to realize that iterative art is just as powerful as innovative art. Now, let me unpack that for just one second. You and I are made in the image of what? God. So God existed before us, correct? Correct. Which means you and I are not innovative creations when it comes to God's creativity. Mm -hmm. We are actually iterative creative beings, if that makes sense, which means we came out of something. 
And so I think it's tough and I think it's wrong for us to look at creativity as something that has to come out of nothing every time, even though the world we live in says, oh man, if that's not patentable, if that's not something I can, you know, put a unique nothing else like it stamp on there, it's not valuable in our culture. And I want to just break that to say you and I are made in the image of God, which means we're far more iterative than we are innovative. And therefore, we need to release the pressure valve on our creativity that says it's got to be original. It has to be never before seen. So maybe part of what I want to encourage those is to curate, to look at their surroundings, to scour the world they live in, to get into places where inspiration breeds inspiration, and to listen to the music and the environments, and to read the books and the blogs and the articles and the insights that you can get from written word, and to take all of that context together and say, what is it that I can mix, mash, merge, tweak, collect to create a new, quote, never-before-seen collection of creativity. Does that make sense? Oh, yeah. To, to basically look at creativity as building blocks rather than saying, I've got, to build, I've got to create the block. What does it look like to say, hey, let's stop believing that just because we've never seen it, that's what creativity has to always be. And that's, and that's something that I had to wrestle with and really kind of come to grips with because I would see these other creatives that whether this was really happening or not, it, it seemed like they were creating these things out of nothing. You give them a blank piece of paper and they would make these really beautiful works of art. I don't work that way. I'm a lot more anical. I'm, I, I like my numbers. I like my structure. I love the beauty of a brand new Excel spreadsheet when you <laughs> open that thing up and like all the possibilities of how I'm going to be able to deal with this data. I'm a weird creative. And so for the longest time, I just thought like I was just weird or I'm not a creative. But if you take me to a restaurant and you give me a coloring sheet and three crayons and three separate colors, man, I can do stuff with that. Like you can put me in a box. And in the thing that I had to realize is that in that space, I'm creative. I'm just as creative as if you give me a blank piece of paper and, 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 you know, for that personality type that you if you take, you know, a photograph, yeah, there might be a photograph of the statue of Liberty, but there may not be one from your vantage point that has you know a mix of, of you and who God created you to be and your personality and how you took the angle, how you chose the light, if you did day or night or whatever. You can There's a gazillion different photographs of the Statue of Liberty, uh, but there, there's only one you that's taking it and that your uniqueness and telling that story a certain way and creating it a certain way, even if it's building upon something else, it still becomes a unique piece of art that God can use. Totally. And sometimes, whether it's filling in, you know, the colored boxes and the Olive Garden, you know, kids menu, or it's coming up with something from scratch with graph paper, paper and, you know, sketch pad, there is a fear in creating, right? I mean, the fear that, man, what if people don't like it? Man, what if people don't accept it? Man, what if my boss doesn't like it? Or what if this isn't allowed? And I think one of the things I talk about towards the end of the book is this idea of fear in the creative process that, it is so vital because when we use fear uh, as a catalyst to creativity rather than a paralyzing element of creativity, it really unlocks something for us. And we start to realize we can still create in light of the fear of what if someone doesn't love it because we now start seeing, well, what if I don't ever make it? Who is that not going to impact? If I don't put that song out, if I don't put that photo out, if I don't put that article, that blog, that whatever out, then who is this not going to reach? Right. And that is fear that is, becomes a catalyst for us rather than a fear that paralyzes us. And I think that's good that uh, just 
again, speaks to the importance of, of community and and being able to get with other people that might encourage you to, to kind of push past that fear, to be able to unlock some certain certain things, even though kind of what we're doing now with this podcast, there's you, there's me, and then there's the person that's listening to this. And hopefully we're, you know, encouraging them, inspiring them to, to maybe, um, you know, push them a little bit and unlock some certain things in their creativity. And uh, I think that's a natural segue into what you're doing with SALT, which is a conference that you've been doing for, for many years. And I know uh, of a guy that went to he was on staff at the church I, I used to be at, and he went there, and he, the word he used was it was refreshing and mm. being in that community. And then, you know, last year in 2017, you guys normally you would do it in, in Nashville, but you actually took it on the road and brought it to cities like Oklahoma City, which is where I'm at, and you know, and 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 was able to, to connect with people and just to cultivate that community. Take a second because because salt actually happens here in a couple of weeks. It's I think about five or six weeks. It's uh. It's like, like that second week in October, and and, and, and and so people are looking to connect in with that community. How can SALT be a benefit for people? Yeah, so our whole heartbeat for, for SALT is to be a place where you can be renewed spiritually, where you can be equipped vocationally, and you can be connected relationally with the whole SALT community. And, and really what we want to see happen, Dave, is that we want to help become an equipping mechanism for the church to become the creative agent in their community. I mean, what if the church was the, as to use a phrase, Erwin Manis said in 2015, what if the church could be the epicenter of creativity? What if it could be the hub of all things creative and culture? And that's not our story right now, but we feel like that's totally doable as people step into their creative calling, as they lock arms with other creatives around the world. Because how often do we feel isolated and alone and by ourselves in creative ministry? Well, what if you could lock arms with somebody who's wrestling with some of the same things every single week? And that's part of the beauty of the conference. Now, obviously, you got a chance to come to the sort of one-day event. We called it Salt Tour, and and we may do more one-day one events uh, as time goes on. But this year, we wanted to come back because there's something that happens in three days that's just powerful. I mean, the first, the first big difference that you and I were talking about earlier is there's going to be worship. I mean... Imagine a place to be able to come. And by the way, it's the Belonging Co., which if you haven't gotten their album, it is gold. That song, Zeal, is fantastic. Like, yeah. like coming off, you know, the whole record's good, but that first song coming out of the gates, I was like, <laughs> whoa, that's good stuff. Yeah, and the cool part is a lot of people know this who've been to Salt, but they've been with us ever since Salt 15. So they've been family to the Salt community long before an album was out, um, which is what is so important to us is that it is family. And but you're going to get a chance to, to what we do, what we say is worship without working. Like imagine being in a place where you get a chance to just get alone with your creator and encounter God in new and fresh ways. And it is our whole heart is, is to be able to enrich you in your soul to come back and go, okay, I'm ready to do this again. And we do that through three primary things, through main sessions, which obviously is worship and, works, or, and keynotes and stuff like that, discussions, creativity. We do that second through... Um, sort of the relationships you're going to build in community groups. And then the third is sort of through our, you know, environments, lobby environments and our workshops. I mean, our workshops this year alone, we've got 40 plus workshops all on extremely practical topics. Uh, and all those are online. So you can go sort of browse all those topics, but we want you to leave ready to do something. We want you to leave ready to, to sort of change the world, if you will, or at least the world in which you're engaged in. 
but we want to do it in a way where you have an encounter with Christ in the process, because so often we can get so caught up in the doing that we miss the being. And for us, it's so vital to know the, the, the heartbeat behind why God called us into something, and that's His relationship with us, far more than we get caught up in those, those tasks. SALT Conference is a three-day conference for anyone that plays a role in making Sunday happen. It's October 10th through the 12th in Nashville, Tennessee, and I'm going to put links to the conference itself in the show notes, as well as a link to a webpage specifically designed to help your senior pastor or your leadership see the vision for the conference and release the funds so you can go. They know that for many of you, that's a thing. So they've already put that together for you. Show notes can be found for this episode at practicalworshiplog.com slash podcast six. Josh Pound from the After the Music Stops podcast left this review of the Practical Worship podcast, which means a lot coming from another podcaster. He says, love this show. Dave does an excellent job at keeping the flow interesting and has good chemistry with his guests. Highly recommended. Josh, thank you so much for taking the time to share that. It's really kind of you to say. And as a fellow podcaster, Josh knows that those ratings and reviews really do help when it comes to iTunes. The more ratings and reviews a podcast has, the more the Apple podcasting app is going to suggest this show to other people, which means more and more people can benefit from these conversations. So if you haven't already, I would be honored if you left an honest five-star rating and review. And if you haven't heard, we just relaunched the YouTube channel. I took the entire summer off, which is not something that I had originally planned to do, but it worked out really well. It was a good break for me and for my family and just some of the things that were going on in my personal life, but it is so good to be back. We released a video this last Tuesday called It Takes a Lot of Work to Disappear. It's about the importance of thinking through all the details of a service, and just because a service feels easy, which is the goal, that doesn't mean that it is easy for us as leaders to create. So check out the show notes for a link to that video. And if you haven't already, now's a great time to subscribe to the YouTube channel because we're back to sharing ideas and tips and practical advice for the everyday worship leader every single Tuesday. This has been the Practical Worship Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. I'm Dave Dolphin, and let's do this again next month. It's a bad addiction, people. Don't do it.